0: Hello and welcome to this segment of Two Worlds, One Country. Today is part two of a two-issue or two-segment version of Two Worlds with my wonderful guests, Kenyon Woodward and Chloe Maxman. And if you tuned in last week, you heard a bit about them personally, their upbringing, their kind of motivations, how they started their respective careers in organizing, on up through um, Chloe's tenure in the main first house and then the main senate. And we were wrapping up last week with the beginning of a discussion of an organization that Chloe and Canyon have formed called Dirt Road Organizing. And that's pretty much where we're going to pick up today, except we're going to detour ever so slightly to talk about their book. So first of all, welcome and thanks for coming back to Two Worlds One Country, Chloe and Canyon.
1: Thank you so much for inviting us back.
0: You bet. So let's talk about the book. The book came out last year. Is that correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's called Dirt Road Revival. That's right. Yeah. So like where did the book come from? And then we'll get into a bit about what's in it.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think at its core, you know, when Chloe and I started on this journey in early 2018 didn't feel like didn't feel like there was a whole lot of, you know, progressive rural storytelling to to go off of or kind of like playbooks for how to organize and and win as as young folks in rural America. And so we really wanted to work on, you know, helping helping change the narrative of what, you know, the political scene and political possibilities are in rural America mm-hmm. as well as share from our experiences what worked what didn't um, so that so that other folks could you know pick up that playbook and run with it in their own communities
0: yeah i mean i i would so agree that there's really a, a dearth of materials there's folks writing about rural and rural development my my book from back in 2016 is kind of about rural development and there's folks writing about Politics, political organizing, uh, and progressive politics, but there's not much out there that puts the two in the same context that talks about progressive policies and organizing in a rural context. So, hats off to you for adding to that small list of resources. Chloe, did you want to add anything to that in terms of the motivation?
1: Uh, I, you know, I think the only thing I was going to add is that the book really. You know, we hadn't really ever planned on writing a book, but uh, it kind of emerged organically after we were canvassing and getting deep on the campaign trail and just felt like we were learning so much. And so we would take voice memos and, you know, we had these big Google Docs that we would write ideas and reflections down in. And then it just kind of ultimately we were like, oh, wow, there's a lot here. Maybe this maybe this could be something. And it was such a huge honor and privilege to be able to get to get our thoughts published and. You know, we're just, it was really just a, a way to put our, our thoughts down on, on paper for, for our own processing and in the hopes that it would help others.
0: So, a lot of books, even really good books, are written from primarily an intellectual point of view in the sense that it's a compilation of people's thoughts, musings, analysis, whatever you want to say. Yours is very much a bottom-up book, very much um, a book that comes out of experience. Is that a fair description?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Kenyon and I aren't uh, aren't scholars or or academics by any means. We did a lot of research and reading to make sure we were very well informed as we wrote about this about this issue, but. Um, it is yeah, you know, we tried to write the book like we built our campaigns with a very, very much a focus on grassroots movement building and storytelling. And um, you know, I think we also felt like we wanted a lot. Most of the book is kind of lessons learned and more practical solution oriented content. And we felt like that was just missing from a lot of stuff that we were reading. There's a lot of diagnosing the problem, but not a whole lot of um, okay, here's what we can do about it. And so. We wanted to provide that as well.
0: Although it's it's important for people to understand, it's not just a how-to book because there's definitely diagnosis in there, right from the right from the very first pages. Is a good understanding of the the why of things, and um, and let's not forget when you say that you, you're not scholars, you guys met at Harvard for God's sakes. So <laughs> you do. You may not have that uh, academic bent in the sense of being. Overly caught up in words and reflections, but you obviously are two very smart and well-educated people. Um, so, the book is for whom? Like, you know, we'll, let's go ahead and give you thirty seconds to pitch it. Who do you think could benefit from the book? I mean, big picture, I think you know anyone who's
2: interested in in American politics today. I think it's I think it's a relevant story of honest look at rural America and the forces that play there over the last two decades plus um and some stories from just really being on the ground deep deep in the organizing and and hopefully some some really hopeful lessons learned you know i think there's a general audience for it but our hope for it and our motivation i think that that kept us slogging through through what's always the difficult writing process was the hope that folks who are in these communities especially especially young young folks like us um, but everyone um, would pick up the book and run with it and run for office or work on a campaign or do local um, issue organizing in their community so that's that's our hope for for the audience that can really get the most out of it
0: yeah, that's great. And I think it's really important to note that a book like Dirt Road Revival, while it is, as you say, focused more on people who want to actually implement some of what you all learned as candidates, as campaigners, as, as door knockers for an issue, that's, that's great and much needed. But one thing that sometimes happens is when Rural is in the title of a book, or in your case, Dirt Road sort of implies Rural. Then folks who are not rural, who dominate the landscape of liberal and progressive politics, they think it's got nothing to do with them. So rural sort of gets put off to the side as something not necessary. So I think it really is important, the first part of what you said as well, which is that it's for everybody who wants to learn about politics and what's happened in rural. So so true. We want want our liberal, urban, suburban uh, friends to read this book too. Totally.
2: I mean, I mean, as you, as you know, so well, you know, it's something that we've talked about so much in the rural urban bridge initiative, uh, which you started, it's rural is so relevant to, to everybody who, you know, cares at all about this country and our communities and where we're going. And I think a big theme, you know, a big thing theme that we've thought about in our work, you and I have talked about and all of us in in rural urban bridges, this kind of condescending narrative of, um, of a lot of the sort of American center, American center left towards rural America that has Mm -hmm. really done so much to drive, drive the divide and the divisions even, even deeper, this kind of condescending narrative of, you know, these, these, rural backward folks are voting against their own interests. They don't know what's best for them. uh, And kind of just giving giving up on organizing or or trying to work with with a huge swath of America because of this kind of backwards twisted view of them that we've that a lot of folks have, have gotten in their heads with no experience on the ground actually right. talking to the folks. and Yeah, exactly. Um, that's super dangerous. And so that's that's a big part of what we're trying to push back against with a different, yeah. a different kind of narrative.
0: Yeah, excellent. You know, even a guy like Paul Krugman, I did a show several weeks back. Uh, I didn't get called Paul Krugman on my show, but I used his words in a couple of different op-eds he had had in the New York Times over the last little bit and uh, sort of debated him by myself. <laughs> and, but one of the reasons, because he's an enormously influential, very highly educated economist who has the ear of mainstream of liberal America, and his view of rural is exactly that condescending one. And not, not only that, but he, he goes so far in a more recent op-ed to say that this notion that urban elites look down on rural it's just not true and he says i don't know of anybody f- from among urban elites and politicians who do that and i'm thinking dude you got to <laughs> get out of the city a little bit <laughs> for god's <laughs> sakes that's incredible that he would think that that's that that's a myth that rural people are put down anyway that yeah. little digression aside let's let's move so you you met at harvard you were key organizers in the divestment movement to try to move the school's endowment away from fossil fuels. And then you continued. That, that wasn't your first organizing, but that's what kind of connected you. And then you went on and you ran two successful campaigns, Against the Odds, Nobody Expected You to Win. You wrote a book. And now the kind of culmination of all of that experience appears to be dirt road organizing. So maybe starting with Chloe... Let's talk about what you hope to accomplish or or maybe I know it's a brand new organization, but or are already seeing being accomplished through dirt road organizing. And then we'll get into the specifics of what you actually offer to folks.
1: Yeah, so dirt we started dirt road organizing last year and we're working we're working full time now to to build it up. We, you know I, I think our our motivation at the core is to provide the kind of support and resources to rural progressives who are are running campaigns organizing in their communities trying to staff their campaigns and provide the kind of support that we wish we had had when when we were running so um so we're providing support for candidates for county committees for staff and for, for organizers we're really just trying to be additive in the space that's growing so vibrantly right now and uh just make sure that rural folks feel really Really supported, especially in those districts where it's really, really difficult to run. You know, you may not win, but we still, we still need folks to be organizing in those communities for, for the sake of our democracy.
0: So, Chloe, when you say additive in the space that's uh, very, you know, that's got a lot going on now, can you can you say that just a a, a little different way? So, what do you mean? You you're trying to find the niche that dirt road organizing would fill that's not now being filled by other groups is that what you're saying
1: yes i you know i think there's so much more attention being put on on rural organizing and rural elections now it's still it's still not enough and i don't know if there will ever be enough on the ground capacity to really confront the challenges that are happening in rural spaces but you know in the last few years there have been so many organizations new and old that are turning their focus to rural organizing and that's so exciting and i you know, our our intent is to really be in collaboration and partnership with folks and find find the space where really we can provide unique support for people, Um, you know, while working in deep collaboration with with other organizations.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruby, Rural Urban Bridge is sort of similar in that way that we came on the scene two years ago, slightly before Dirt Road organizing, but we're brand new and th- we came into a scene that has blossomed compared to <laughs> any time in my mm-hmm. life. And it is an important thing to figure out, well, where do we fit in? What do we offer that isn't already out there? And so I think that's something that you're doing and we're trying to do as well. So, so let me ask you kind of a little bit of a – it's not a philosophical question. It's a very practical question. But it's a, it's a big issue debate within liberal circles, progressive circles, which is the idea that some people who recognize – that rural has been badly misunderstood and uh, not given the time, attention, respect, et cetera, that it deserves, rural people, rural communities, rural issues, are recommending that the the answer to that problem, besides more time, attention, and resources, is a shift to the middle um, ideologically and politically, that, that what we need to do to regain the hearts and minds, and eventually the votes of rural folks, is to be moderate. And there's some examples of people that are often cited, people like John Tester and perhaps Sherry Bustos, who recently left Congress. But you guys are progressives, and your agenda when you were in the main legislature was pretty progressive. So how do you respond to that idea. Do you think it is about the need to move to the middle, as people say? Or is that not the only way to reach rural voters?
2: Yeah. So much,
0: go ahead.
1: Oh, no, you go, Kenny. I know you're fired <laughs> up. You go. I could hear it in your
2: voice. <laughs> I, yeah. I find it I mean, I I don't think it's about moving to the middle. Um and and I get I I find the categories of right, left, middle, you know, kind of kind, kind of tired and and worn out and and not you know something of a myth um you know you look at you look at the crossover appeal that like bernie and trump had for example right there are so so many folks especially in rural america who um who really found both of those candidates super appealing and they you know if we're in the traditional left Right, middle conversation, like they could not be further from each other.
0: Um, but so let let's, let's stay let's yeah. stay with that for just a second. So uh, I agree with you completely. So why do you think that those two seemingly totally different candidates had appeal with many of the same people?
2: Yeah, I I think a lot of it was both of them. Both of them had a really strong. Frustration with the mainstream political establishment of of this country from from very different ways, from very different perspectives. But there's so much frustration with politics as it is, and kind of these just political dynasties and and very very just like a lot of inertia from the leadership of of both parties uh, that kind of reinforces not not challenging the status quo and making sure that working people get their fair, fair share. And that we, you know, stand up to, stand up to the billionaires like, like Bernie was so, yeah. Um, yeah. so ardent about, and there's this really strong authenticity from both of them. Um, at least perceived, perceived authenticity of, right. of speaking their mind and, uh, and their irreverence that really appealed to everybody.
0: Right. Right. And, Recognizing that the sort of incrementalism that the Democratic Party has kind of made its mainstay for most of the last 40 years just isn't working for folks. If if your life's basically okay – it could be a little better, but it's basically okay – then a a tweak here and there, a little improvement here and there is probably a pretty acceptable political strategy. If your life's kind of hanging in the balance – uh, if your economic fortunes are totally insecure, if your community's on a downward spiral, then that kind of incremental tweaking doesn't seem very, very much what's needed. And I think both Trump and Bernie offered uh, an alternative to tweaks and and very modest, modest change.
2: Yeah. And if I could offer up, a, you know, another example of, of this very much at, at play in the real world, um, you know, when we um, when we started running in 2018, you know, Chloe was Chloe was a 25-year-old um, climate activist running in a plus 16 Republican state house district um, where 100% of the population was was rural, and you know, there were huge questions of, <laughs> you know, is this a candidate that can even be viable, let alone win in this district? and you know the the answer is a resounding yes, that, you know, you don't have to be some middle moderate pandering politician to, um, to be competitive in, in a district like that. You just have to be unapologetically yourself and go out there and form connections with folks, go door to door, um, and win people's trust. And if, if folks, Trust you if they see a genuine, authentic human on the other side. You know, we can get past some of that left, right, center policy stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really important to understand.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that must be uh, the underlying philosophy of dirt road organizing. Let's let's talk a little bit. That being that, to win people over, it's not a question of fight finding the least offensive middle ground on policies. It's a it's a matter of respecting where people are and responding accordingly. So so how do you do that? Like what what is it specifically that Dirt Road Organizing is offering and to whom?
1: Right now we're really we're we want to provide the support from the time someone is thinking, oh, maybe I want to run for office or maybe I want to uh, help someone run for office to the time that someone gets elected or is thinking about getting reelected and, and just really being able to provide that catered toolkit that is really necessary for for rural organizing and that oftentimes um, folks don't get from, from a state party or from just the general resources that are out there. A lot of the You know, a lot of the resources that are available to folks organizing in politics are they're not necessarily urban based, but they're not specifically catered towards rural organizing. So, you know, they're not talking about how do you have conversations across party lines in ways that still align with your values? How do you create a campaign around that? How do you create a community organization around that? How do you kind of break through these huge divides and stereotypes that are making rural organizing extremely difficult and sometimes people feel impossible so we want to be able to to pull together not only our knowledge but the knowledge of so many incredible folks in this space to provide that support to people we're also working with partner organizations to make sure that rural legislators who are progressive and get elected have the resources and support and guidance that they need as they navigate a political space as a rural progressive which is a unique identity and then, and then you know, these races that we're talking about are 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 pretty pretty challenging, and so it's it's daunting to think about running again and building up that whole infrastructure from ground zero yet again. And so, that type of perennial support is where is where we will come in for for good candidates.
0: And you say you you hope to do it collaboratively. So I'm thinking here in Virginia, we have an outstanding group, and and she'll be on to talk about it soon, Lindley Thorne. Um, called Rural Ground Game that is really focused on building capacity in rural communities for progressive change, Um, pretty strongly focused on local Dems uh, rather than just more broadly kind of progressive change. But nevertheless, uh, Rural Ground Game works very directly with local Democratic committees and also with candidates for office in rural parts of Virginia. Are, is that the, an example of the kind of organization you imagine kind of collaborating with, packaging your expertise and services with a group like that?
1: Yeah, we, we've talked with Lynn Lee, and we're huge fans of Rural Gravity, and they're doing such incredible work, and um, and they have a lot of, of flexibility um, that we don't as a as an 501c4 nonprofit. so yeah definitely definitely partnering with with folks who are on the ground doing this great work and and you know we have we have um capacity to to fill in gaps and we have capacity to step back and you know say well ground game has got it we'll we'll go elsewhere
0: yeah good point good point and and it isn't just the political side of thing if i recall from the last conversation you of course you you are working to try to help candidates and the people who work with those candidates as volunteers and staff but you're also working more broadly with people who want to organize around issues or organize around simply community improvement is that right
2: yeah absolutely that's that's a that's a big piece of it you know um one of one of the things from our campaigns that that felt like the biggest one of the biggest things that came out of them was You know, when COVID hit in 2020, we stopped campaigning completely. But we realized, because of the organizing, we had a really strong community that could respond to the crisis. And you know, we had access to the voter database with phone numbers for most folks. And so um, we launched into a mutual aid effort with with the dozens and dozens of volunteers that had already signed up work on the campaign and reached out initially to everyone over 65 who um, was the only was living alone it looked like based on their voter file and offer offering you know rides to the doctor or prescription pickups or connecting folks with local food banks and you know an organized community is is a strong community and that was that was such a strong example of the power of organizing, especially in a rural community, and just being able to come together and look out for each other and use our collective power to respond to, to crises in a way like that. So, so dirt road. that kind of capacity.
0: Sure, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead.
2: So that kind of capacity building is is really important to us. Um, and then there's another another big side is just continuing the work on building a new rural narrative, kind of getting back to the the earlier part of our conversation of Mm -hmm. pushing back against these, these storylines that are super, super divisive and counterproductive. And, um, so continuing, continuing to work on shifting that culture. And we're doing that through a variety of different avenues. One of them is, is this short film, um, that my older brother made kind of following, following the organizing work, um, and bringing in some themes of um, trail running, which is another part of my life, um, and that's that's been a really good bridge to um, reach like less politically engaged crowds, and especially kind of the outdoor community. So we've we've been doing a lot of work in schools and universities with that film, as well as partnering up with brands like Patagonia. Oh. Um, and orgs like Protect Our Winters and um, working on kind of bringing bringing folks in the door who aren't necessarily political by nature and and trying to get them more involved.
0: Nice, nice. That's interesting. I'd I'd forgotten about the film. That's another dimension. Cool. So we're we're about at time. So I want to ask you to wrap up with like a super quick. 10 to 20 second from each of you thought on um, what do you think is the kind of either most hopeful or, or what do you think is the priority for anybody listening who wants to do something about uh, not only making rural more prosperous and heard, but, but overcoming the divide. What, what's the super quick uh, takeaway you would leave with folks, maybe starting with Chloe. I,
1: you know, I, I find so much hope in, in, Conversations like this, and just the rising energy that that there is around having compassionate and empathetic organizing in in rural spaces from from the progressive side. I think it's really the only way that we can secure. The durable political power to fight for racial justice, climate justice, reproductive rights, and all of the things that we care about as humans who want everyone to lead decent and happy lives. And so it's so exciting. And, and one of the things that I always say is that reading um, Run for Something's Instagram stories and their, their, all of their social media and just looking at all of the young people who are running for office and engaging with this work gives me so much
0: hope. Nice, nice.
2: Canyon. I resonate with all of that so much. Um, I think the thing that th- pops into my mind is that so much of our understanding of one another these days is filtered through our screens and our social media networks that, and the mainstream media. And it's really warping our understanding of each other and the amount of empathy and compassion that we have for each other. And I think. The most hopeful thing for me in this work is removing those filters and going and looking each other in the eye, shaking each other's hands and really seeing the the human on the other side face to face. And um, you just you find that we have so, so much more in common, then we'd be led to believe by so much of the media and narratives that we consume. And think there's really a lot of hope in just reconnecting face-to-face as human beings as simple and maybe right. cliche, cliche as that is.
0: No, I think it's so true. It's like the difference between a farmer's market and the metaverse. It's like... <laughs> It's like super tangible human scale flesh against flesh versus something that is uh, not just uh, an intellectual abstraction, but an abstraction from reality. So, Well, yeah. very cool. Delighted to have you both on for two segments, and I'm sure um, it won't be too many more months before I might ask you to come back and give us an update on Dirt Road Organizing and what you're, what you're finding as, as you get more uh, of that work behind you. So again, I want to thank you both for being on the program, Chloe Maxman and Canyon Woodward. This has been Two Worlds, One Country, and thanks to all of our listeners for checking us out.